Welcome to the Common Humanity Podcast, where we are here to have real human conversations. Today, joining us is Daniel Rosenthal again. Um, last time we talked a lot about fitness and weight loss and all of those different things that we nerd out about. And after that conversation ended, we continued to nerd out over books and literature, and we decided that we wanted to do this again. <laughs> Daniel is here today in a different aspect, not not as much as his professional self, but as his personal self and the nerdy literature, whatever, however you want to show up. So in that, in that frame of mind, Daniel, who would you say that you are when it comes to books? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I have no preferred genre. I have no preferred, like I'm not super into fantasy, super into sci-fi, super into anything. Um, when it comes to, to fiction, I guess, specifically, I just appreciate a very well-told story. What is your favorite well-told story? It's a well-told story, although she isn't the best writer, if we're talking about the actual, like, the poetry of writing, um, but the Harry Potter books okay. are fantastically well-written. Sorry, they have a fantastic story. In terms of how they're written, again, there's, like, once you see how many times she likes to use adverbs, like mm -hmm. every other sentence, it, it kind of like you can't stop looking at it. Um, <laughs> but the way that she weaves that story and she plants things from like the beginning of book one, like like Sirius Black, he's mentioned in what, like the, in, the, in the very first chapter, the very first book, but then he's, he doesn't actually come back until when, book, book three or book four? Three. Like it's a passing reference to, I think Hagrid, Hip, Sirius Black lending Hadrid, Hagrid his motorbike. So that motorbike that Hagrid lands with baby Harry Potter is Sirius Black's motorbike. So there's a passing reference at the beginning of book one, and it's only in book three, I think, or maybe four, where he's actually introduced as an actual character. So, and if we're talking about like the hero's journey and how to write a, a very well-developed um, protagonist, like she, she's crushed it. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I'm, I wouldn't quite call myself a Potterhead because um, no. people who know way more Harry Potter than me, I mm -hmm. know what house I belong in and I have <laughs> very strong opinions about particular characters, um, <laughs> which I got in, um, speaking of Harry Potter, I got in a, it wasn't an argument per se, but you know, a discussion with a stranger on in the comment section on the internet mm -hmm. the other day. Because I don't know if you've seen the post, um, but it's like nine pictures of different people who died in the Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. It says you can only bring one back. And like someone was just like, but why did Dumbledore have to die? He was mm -hmm. my favorite. And I was like, oh, Dumbledore had to go. That guy. Mm -mm. Like by the end, I was not a fan of Dumbledore. And if I had met him in real life, I would bitch slap him. So. Yeah. And I would agree to an extent because I guess if you read all the books, obviously, and like, obviously, are we meant to say spoiler alert at this point? I mean, if you haven't, uh, read, Harry if Potter they books, haven't read Harry Potter by now, they're not yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. He was basically 
raising a goat to be slaughtered mm-hmm. in, in in how the Harry Potter character, yeah. Which, like, the, the, so this person the other day, she was like, I think he spent all of his adult years trying to make up for the wrongs he did in his youth. And I'm like, that might be fine and dandy, but he used another human being to, like, make up for all of those things, which in and of itself is not a great thing. And then, I mean, by the end, I just love Snape. Um, mm. I love Snape because he was like the grumpy asshole the whole time. But then like yeah. by the end, I loved Snape. Like he had the biggest heart. And mm. um, oh my goodness. It's like hi- him and Fred. Those were the two that I was just like, <laughs> cried my eyes out when mm. I died. <laughs> but, you see, and this is like we're talking about like how well written, not how well written, but how well developed these stories are and how well fleshed out these characters are. Most of the characters, anyway. Um, and yet you see the power of a story, right? Right. And stories like, okay, so I'm a writer. Um, that's that's one of my jobs slash hobbies slash passions. Mm. And stories, like stories saved me as a kid. Harry mm. Potter. So there's, I think we talked about this off camera last time, but sure. um, there are studies that show that your brain does not know the difference between real life friends and fictional friends. Wow. So you actually form, or I guess can form an actual bond with characters. And there are, there are books that I reread, maybe not as often as possible because I have things that I have to do and responsibilities, but (laughs) at the chance I reread them because like I Mm. miss my friends, like, and I want to experience them again. Um, and that's why when like when a character dies you can have that visceral response mm. because it yeah. matters to you like mm. there's the one hand where george never like could never form his patronus again because his twin was dead but then there's also the part of me like every scene that george is in i just like feel this ache in my heart because i feel like true empathy for a person who doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, I guess it, that shows a couple things. First of all, it just shows the power of a story. Mm-hmm. And again, I think I think I may have mentioned this last time, but J.K. Rowling was a single mother on welfare when she was writing the books. Now she's richer than the Queen of England from a story from a story like that like you can't find a job you can't start a business it's going to make you the richer than the queen of england i mean i mean yeah unless you're like a bill gates type obviously or like a elon musk kind of person but she did it with a story which is insane and and i think we talked about how there are um common threads that run through the best stories in all of our mythology and also all of our modern mythology. Mm-hmm. When by modern mythology, I mean like comic books and movies. And even, I guess, Harry Potter is modern mythology. 
really um, yeah for sure it is like and it's um something else that i was thinking i remember when i was a kid and i i i, I like reading i like i like reading stories i would i would be reading a story and let's say that the 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 the, uh, the, the protagonist was like a male character like a, like a like a child like a boy I would be surprised sometimes when I saw that, oh, this is a boy character. I thought this was a girl character. Um, and then I saw, and also vice versa sometimes. And I always found that male writers were not good at writing girls and female writers were not good at writing boys, generally speaking, because right. we, we didn't have that, that experience of being a girl or a boy if we were like the opposite gender, right? Whereas J.K. Rowling... Like she's she's got it nailed. What boys are like as they're teenagers, what what girls are like as they're teenagers, and that there's all the subtle differences between like different kinds of people. Like she's got that incredibly like well like understood. So she clearly understands understands people too. Right, and I think that is one thing that like really good storytellers they have an understanding of. Mm. So not just people, but they're very observant of their surroundings. So one thing yeah. that I always, um, like the discussion I always like having is there's the people who are, who talk about like, oh man, it's like we're living in a dystopian novel. Like it's like 1984 is coming true and all this mm-hmm. stuff. I'm like, no, because- Ag- 19- Agreed, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> well, 1984 is not like, it wasn't like, hey, this is going to happen. It was written because he saw that it was already happening. Like dystopian novels are people recognizing like there's some kind of shitty pockets of our reality and Mm. then exposing them and amplifying them so that people actually take notice. Yeah, you're right. Like 1984. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. You're good. You're good. I was going to say 1984 was it was written as a critique of the Soviet Union, right? And it was what the Soviet Union became and, and stayed until it broke up in, what, 89 or 90, whenever it was. And it was, if you're going to talk dystopian from Western culture, you want to read Brave New World, where people are given happy pills, which just didn't exist at the time. And people are distracted by the screens all <laughs> over the place. And they're distracted by pleasure, which is essentially what our modern society is, is we're distracted by pleasure. We're always pursuing pleasure. Um, we're told that if we, if we feel, um, not that we're taught because there are obviously like, there's a strong movement toward like positive mental health. Um, but feeling, feeling bad is like somehow wrong. Whereas sometimes we just feel bad about things. And it's a thing for us to work through or to, or to acknowledge. Um, Whereas like 1984 was more of that like totalitarian way of controlling people. Right. Through and violence. I think, I think um, so Fahrenheit 451 was one of my yep. favorites in high school as well. Mm-hmm. And it's something I think of now because like I'm trying to be active in my, like in my school district because mm. there's a group who are, like trying to get books banned and things like that. And I'm like, like once you destroy knowledge or you mm. sense knowledge, whatever that knowledge is, whether you approve of it or not, yeah. like 
that's a that's a big old slippery slope. Um, I also always loved The Giver. I've which, not read that. Um, so it's I don't I don't even know if it's actually classified as dystopian. I read it in like mm. fifth grade, I think. Um, but there's this whole world where everything is monotone. So it's not, I mean, it's not gray, but it's shades of gray and everybody sure. has their purpose and everybody knows what that purpose is. Mm. And then like you're assigned a job at some point and one person is assigned the giver and it only comes around pretty much when the last giver is ready to die. And mm. the giver is the one who holds all of the knowledge of whatever was and so this one kid, I don't remember how old he is, probably like 15 or something. Um, he's starting to gather that knowledge and he sees what an apple looks like in color. And like when you've never seen color your entire life and then you get to see the whole world in color, your whole perspective changes. And so there's mm. the issue that a lot of times whoever is assigned the giver cannot mentally handle it. And like, we'll choose to be euthanized instead. Um, because when people stop being useful, they, I can't remember what word they use for it, but they're essentially euthanized. Um, mm. And so he goes like kind of rebellion. He's just like, no, like if I get to see and taste an apple and I get to know what it's like sledding down a hill in the snow, in the mm. cold and not in this bland constant comfort than everybody else should get to too and so um yeah it's a it's a great book <laughs> interesting yeah yeah I'll, I'll check that out i'm writing it down for giver um but yeah. yeah it's so like there's a part of me it's just like not to toot my own horn but i have a <laughs> A completely unpublished novel that I wrote six, seven years ago now. Okay. Um, and I thought it was really funny when COVID happened. Not that COVID's funny, but mm -hmm. the basis of my novel was that there was some sort of epidemic that came from, not that I'm saying that, I mean, that originated in China and though in mine it was an act of war and not an epidemic but either way mm -hmm. and then a bunch of things happened and then all these people were dying and nobody really cared until rich and famous people started dying and then they cared and then um they found out that you could um there's a certain certain people's blood had the antibodies and so um, they would ask people to donate plasma in order to cure people who were sick. And so when that all started happening with COVID, I was just like, <laughs> I saw this coming. So I'm really glad because I'm not going to give a spoiler to the novel that I do hope to publish one day. Um, but like, let's. I'm really glad that the rest of my novel did not come to fruition. So Okay, yeah. <laughs> it, so when are you going to publish it? Um so that's that depends. So I've got my 
next to poetry books um, that I need to get published, that I need to get out so I can finish that series. Mm. And then I have this other like labor of love that I want to write. Um, and I don't know. So like, I want to write that one and the other one just needs editing. So I say mm. just needs editing. That's by far the hardest part. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause it's still in its first draft and the first draft is okay. awful, like 100%. So I think most writers say that the first draft ending is just complete garbage. Right. Like yeah. it was getting the story out on the page. Yeah. Um, I wrote it during NaNoWriMo, which is National National Novel Writing Month in November. Okay. So if anybody doesn't know about it and you've ever been like, I want to write a novel or anything, mm. there's a, um, you can Google NaNoWriMo, I'll link it. Um, and it's a challenge in the month of November to write 50,000 words, which is how long it has to be to be considered a novel. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, and yeah, so then the goal is to write, like, I mean, the goal is to write every day, but the goal is to get a first draft out and from there actually build upon it so that, you know, writers can, because you can be a, a storyteller and not be a writer and you can be, mm -hmm. you can think of really great stories and not be a writer. And, but part of, part of like, the juice to it is being able to put it out in the world and share it mm. with people. But that's also like the really, really hard part because one, it's like super vulnerable, two, mm. hard and time consuming. Um, but there are a lot of really good stories that the world needs because stories are very powerful. Mm. Um, but if I gave myself a timeline, I would say um, actually trying to get a publisher to pick it up in the next three years. Cool. So, and it's intended as a trilogy. So the okay. first one's written, the second two are still just stewing in my brain. Well, cool. So do you have the storyline for those next two laid out? Um. So I am, I am what in, <laughs> in the writing world is called a panster. So okay. a planner and a panster. So a planner is someone who has like a detailed outline of every story point and all of that. And a Which I think is what JK Rowling did, right? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Spent a lot of time in coffee shops and a panster is someone who kind of figures it out as they go. Okay. Um, I'm kind of a mixture of the two. So I have the main storyline. I know the outcome that I want, but I don't have mm. all of the details. Got it. Cause I kind of do that as I write. And then, um, so I have like an overall outline mm. and then I have like miniature outlines that go within that, mm -hmm. but all of the like real detailed stuff is more of a, you got to be in the feeling of it and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but it's, uh, it's dystopian and it is like, I wrote it and I was like, wow, that is really how I feel about authority. 
like, I was never a rebellious child in the sense that like, I didn't, I like, I don't break rules. Um, but I challenge authority, like every chance I get. Yeah. <laughs> I think if history has shown us one thing is that you can't trust the people in power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. It doesn't matter which part is in power. It's like, okay, whichever ones are in power, I don't trust you right now. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I was having this discussion with a friend the other day, like power corrupts. It does mm-hmm. not matter how good of a person you are. Yeah. If you get power, there's at least a part of you that is going to be corrupted because like people will go mad with power because it feels good. Yeah. And we chase pleasure. <laughs> so. Yep. And you kind of wonder how much of the, um, not so much the response to the last two and a half years of pandemic, but I mean like the rate at which they're lowering the, um, the protocols in place mm-hmm. in certain countries. You wonder how much of it is done at a speed where people are going to be keeping the power that they've actually gained over people for the last two and a half years. Obviously, I don't know anything about that kind of thing. I don't know anything about politics or people in power. Um, but I know that, as you just said, people who gain power, they want to hold on to power in whatever way they can. It's human nature. Yeah. Well, Which is why I'm... You have more comfort. Yeah. Yeah. You get that illusion of control when, in fact, we're just monkeys on a rock flying through space, huh? <laughs> hairless monkeys. Not hairless. Hairless monkeys, yeah. <laughs> Less hairy than other monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is a weird side note. Like, of all of the evolutionary things, I'm just like, why on earth did all of that happen? And, like, this. This is a thing that we needed to maintain i don't know yeah, you got me no idea <laughs> part of that's just because my hair is annoying me and i need a haircut but you know <laughs> okay so outside well okay first i need to know mm. yeah um so obviously harry potter is a great hero's journey mm. know what my answer is but mm. so supporting character which supporting character or characters do you feel have the best hero's journey of their own? Mm. Father. Um, well, Neville, for sure. Um, because, you know, even though you could argue that Neville had a tougher time of it than, than Harry did, because yeah, obviously Harry had the tragedy of losing his parents, mm-hmm. but so did Neville. But at the same time, they were still there in this weird kind of like, you know, um, completely broken state. And they didn't even know who he was. Right. So which you I could think. argue. Yeah. And he had the, the tough grandmother. He had the fact that he was basically not naturally gifted at anything, really. He had to work hard at everything to actually achieve anything um and he 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 did though right he did actually go through a lot and developed a ton and i I, 
So he's one of my choices as well. Mm. Um, and I love that, like, because there's a point in the story where they talk about, because like Harry's like, well, why was I the chosen one and not him? And they're like, mm. eh, well, like you really weren't. Like, it was the luck of the draw. It could have gone either way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, like, if, yeah. And with that, one of the things that, like Harry has going for him more than Neville did was that hmm. he got to be the boy who lived. Whereas mm. Neville doesn't have that, that celebrity about him. And so mm. he like faced just as much tragedy faced just as much like horror in his life for the exact same reasons, mm. but without all of the camaraderie that came with it. Hmm. So a lot of his journey, because he didn't have Ron and Hermione, like they were, no, friends, no. but they weren't best friends. And like, I feel like even when he, like at the end, when he picks up the store, the sword and cuts the head off of the snake, whose name I can't pronounce, save my life. Hmm. Um, Like, I think a lot of people were like, oh shit, like that <laughs> devil, like he's, he's like, a real person he's not just like this nerdy kid who plays with plants anymore and mm. he did a lot of that i'm not going to say on his own but he had to work i feel like he had to work a lot harder to get to that point because he didn't have like and he didn't have dumbledore you know priming him for everything along the way he had to mm -hmm. for it and so i think He's one of my favorite characters by the end because yeah. he did like his journey. If she wrote another book was just like a, Hey, we're just going to give you a like Neville's experience. I would, I mean, I would read anything she writes, but <laughs> <laughs> um, at least Harry Potter wise, I haven't read, read any of her other books under her other name, which I don't even know what it is. I just know it exists. Sure. No, I've not read that either. Um. Cool. Because, and I think that's one of the things too, the, like the sad part as like, there are people who are great writers, like Stephen King, mm. phenomenal writer, like anything he puts out is going to be phenomenal, whether mm. it's horror or not, like he can write a story. Yeah. There are some people that just have like one or two really good stories in them that need to like to get out. And then, like, I mean, and again, I ha like I said, I haven't read her other stuff, so maybe it's good. I've heard that it might not be. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it seemed that adults, right? It's more like an adult, yeah. whereas like Harry Potter is like young adult, right? Um, but yeah, I think like some people are writers, and some people just have a story that they need to get out, and it's not. Like it doesn't yeah. mean that they need that to be their whole career, but then mm. again, it doesn't have to be their whole career because they're richer than the Queen of England. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. You know who else went through um, a tough journey? Who you wouldn't maybe expect me to say Draco? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, like he was. He was basically blameless for what he was doing. To an extent, you know, because he was a child raised a certain way mm -hmm. with certain beliefs um, and told that 
if we do these things, everything's going to be much better. Everyone's going to be way happier. And then he found out that his entire belief system was leading to something that was just horrific. And he knew it and his parents knew it. Right. Um, and he made that change. Exactly. He, yeah. You you saw in like the, um, you know, the epilogue to the final book when <laughs> he was there with his son. Um, like he was there. He like nodded at, at um at Harry and Ginny. Um, so they want, they clearly weren't friends because of the horrendously traumatic experience that everyone had been through. And he probably right. didn't want to associate with them. Um, but he did change. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he was sending his kid to Hogwarts as well, also the mission that he had changed. Yeah, I think, and he was always one of my favorite characters because one, hmm. I associate way too easily with villains <laughs> and, um, and I, I very much appreciated because even because at like, what last book they're seventeen years old, so they are still very much sure kids, children, yeah. Um, and the amount that he was able, because like again, Harry, Harry fought Voldemort because he killed his parents and he had mm. frankly a vendetta against him yeah it was revenge it was a strong sense of justice too but it was revenge and a vendetta for sure yeah um but then there's draco who you know he was raised as like almost voldemort as the savior of yes. everything that they hold near and dear to them mm. and he was able to go eh like mm. maybe, maybe there's a better way to do this. And I think that's even, I think that's an even stronger like character. Like mm. I, he has a stronger like sense of integrity than even Harry did. To and fundamentally I, change your belief system that you were brought up with, like that's hard. And I think... One of the my favorite things about the Harry Potter series, because honestly, like by the end, I'm not even that big of a fan of Harry. I'm just like, you're kind of like you can be kind of a whiny brat sometimes. <laughs> like you had a you had a rough go. I get it, but like appreciate some things. I don't know. Mm. Um but That's I do fairly common in a lot of like in the hero's journey. Like the actual hero, the hero is never um the one who's the perfect person never the most intelligent person um if i mean if you look at like harry ron and hermione like hermione's a clever one yeah right like harry's not the smart one um well, they're the, the ones part. the hero the hero is the one who breaks the rules sometimes yep breaks the rules when they when appropriate they also have a like a dark streak in them and like literally like harry literally had that inside him but wasn't he technically like the the last horcrux yeah because he had a piece of Voldemort in him, right? So he was, he literally had like a piece of evil running through him. And if you look at like heroes throughout, like the, like the anti-hero, um, not so much the anti-hero, but the hero often has a very dark streak. If you look at like people like Wolverine from the X-Men, there's another example of somebody with a very dark streak in them. Batman, there's somebody else with like a psychotic streak in them. Like I would, so this is why I love villains. So yeah. Maleficent, like when you actually go to like the Maleficent movie and I haven't seen the second one, but okay. have you seen Maleficent? I haven't. Okay. So 
Do you know who Maleficent is? Is Sleep- that the evil witch from Stephen Beauty? Okay. So, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Maleficent, <laughs> you because you haven't. Um, <laughs> but she is like, she is a fairy. And she like loves life and beauty and she falls in love with the prince and the prince falls in love with her and all of this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then his parents are like, oh, the fairies, like we need to get rid of their realm and take it over and whatever. And so in order to appease his parents, he cuts off her wings, which makes it so she like she can't fly. She like. Her magic's not gone, but either way, it's very traumatic. And so, like, this person that he loved, he mutilates her for power, and then he becomes king. And so Sleeping Beauty is his daughter. And so when Sleeping Beauty is born, she puts her to sleep. And, like, that's Mm. her vengeance. And she goes, like, eventually goes back because he kept her wings as a trophy and Mm. she like attacks the kingdom and gets her wings back but like as maleficent i would have been a little bitter myself (laughs) yeah so but because like most i'll say most people feel like voldemort is one of those like is he pure evil Uh, but most people who are perceived as evil like they became that way mm-hmm. usually at the hands of somebody else. Sure. Because, um, well, like if you go to some fun quotes from real life, hurt people hurt people. Mm. And so um, that's what most villains are, are just people who have been like, have had something traumatic inflicted upon them. And the only way they know how to cope is by inflicting that on others. I mean, how many people in prison had a good childhood? Like, it's definitely way lower than the average of people who are not in prison. Yeah, (laughs) right? It's like very few. Obviously, I'm not saying that having a a tough childhood is going to make you a criminal, obviously, but I'm saying that it just, at the extremes, like if you are in prison um, for any kind of violent crime, the chances of you having had like a, a tough upbringing are way higher than if you were to just pick a random person. Right. And so, so then let's talk about like outside of books a little bit. Mm. Do you f- see the hero's journey in real life, whether it's for you or the world around you? Like, what does that look like to you? Well, for me, it's like, it's the struggle. Like you have to go through that struggle to achieve anything. That's the hero's journey. The hero's journey is, um, is go- overcoming some kind of really tough challenge that's that's the fundamental part like whether it's um the lord of the rings okay the the, the struggle is taking the ring to to what whatever the, the mount doom mordor okay um to drop it in there um whether it's like okay where it's luke skywalker trying to kill darth vader um it's like whatever it's like and then in real life okay it's okay i want to start my own business i want to be independent cool okay i've got to work my ass off for the next five years for me to be independent i've got to be willing to work for less than minimum wage when you actually look at how many hours i'm putting into this thing for you to be have a successful business in a few years time this is the hero so this is like working hard and struggling to achieve things 
that's fundamentally what the hero's journey is to me. Yeah, I think, I think that's so true. Um, and it, the challenge can be anything, right? Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. and you can, you can, and probably will go through a variety of hero's journeys over the course of your life. 100%. Um, and like, maybe at the end, you'll be able to wrap the whole thing up into one journey, but um, <laughs> there's, I think there's the journeys that we choose, like, mm -hmm. like starting a business. It's not sure. easy. And no. there's a lot of um, rough and tumble things that are going to happen and mm -hmm. persistence that you have to build because it's not inherent. Um, but then there's, you know, people who have rough childhoods or um, experienced trauma and going through that healing process because yeah. healing is, I, I would say that healing is probably the hardest thing a human can do. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Especially like, if I'd, it's willing. Yeah. And, I, and I'm really reluctant to talk too much about this because I'm going to be honest, like, oh, that's been very easy compared with a lot of people, like super easy, okay? Um, and I guess, you know, what you just said about trying to, to heal, I guess it's a form of like taking responsibility. Like not accepting blame for what happened because how is it your fault? If you're a kid, it's, how is it your fault? It's not your fault at all. But now the healing part is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's that it's taking the responsibility, shouldering that burden and actually working hard to overcome whatever it is that you have to overcome to come out, I guess, this maybe um, not so much a new person, but a new version of you. Right. Like I think, so taking it back to story, right? Hmm. It's easier to stay angry at the world and it's easier to stay hurt and it's easier to stay the villain. Not changing uh, is easy. Not, not changing is really easy. Right. Um, but it's that like the thing, the difference between a villain and a hero, because as you said, the hero has that dark streak in them. But the difference is the hero takes the steps to change. And absolutely. And you can look at this in like in, in mythology where the hero and the villain were often friends at one point. Mm -hmm. Let's use a model example. X-Men, Professor X and Magneto, they were best friends. And they still, they have the scenes that show they were friends where Magneto's in prison and then Professor X comes in and they're playing chess because they are still friends. It a, it's a weird form of friendship, but they are still, they're not friendly, but they're friends, let's say. Right. Um, and that's actually a fairly common trope through, through mythology. Like, okay, again, to use another example, Spider-Man, like Peter Parker and whoever was the Green Goblin, they were friends. Yeah. I just, it's, it's super common. And it's, it's showing the different parts that they take. His face. <laughs> Sorry. I said, I can't think of his name in the actual comics, but I see his face from the movies. Um, I can't think of his name. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Dumbledore and um, what's his face who he fought? Yeah. Um, Grindenwald. Yes. So, they're friends. Best friends. like best, Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> and they, they often have the very same philosophy. And then once... Either the hero realizes that the, his, that the philosophy is wrong or it's going in the wrong direction. It's the hero who changes, right? Mm -hmm. 
That's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that before. Sorry, now I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm trying to think of other books. Um, Oh, so did you ever read the Hunger Games series? I didn't actually, no, no. So there's, there's Katniss and Peta and, oh God, who is her friend's name? Mm, I can't remember. Either way, so there's like this boy she grew up with as best friends and they are very fiery together. Then there's, you know, there's a love triangle between her and Peta and the other guy, whatever. Um, but in the end, she chooses to be with Peta because she is fiery and Peta kind of helps calm her. Mm. Whereas the other guys whose name I can't remember, she was like, all like he makes me more fiery and so like more destructive. And mm. but it was kind of like they both had a vendetta against the capital. And through her experience, she came to realize that like it doesn't need to be war and like people can find peace. And that's kind of like an inner journey. Whereas mm. he was like became like the general or something of the military. And she was so like they kind of went separate ways. Um but yeah, I think that I mean, and it happens a lot in real life too. I mean, mm. I think one of the hardest things about adulthood is how many friendships you lose because you realize that you've outgrown people. Um, yeah. And I think it was Nietzsche who said something like, if you're like, so part of maturing is like you, you're, you giving up friendships, something like that. But you're right. Like as you get older, you, you do lose friends because if you're growing and they're not right, then you're different people now. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hardest things too, because like you usually, like generally you become friends with people because you want them to stay your friends for forever. Right. Hmm. When people don't grow, not even necessarily with you, but when people aren't growing in the same direction as you, Hmm. um, even if it's like the same general direction, it's very difficult to maintain friendships with them because like conversations lack and um, just the way you see the world changes. Hmm. And I think like that's so I always referred to Samwise, like Samwise is one of my favorite characters ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always refer to it when talking about like trauma healing and dealing with your darkness or your shit or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say like Samwise couldn't carry the ring for Frodo, but he could carry Frodo. So mm-hmm. like no one can no one can feel your pain for you or heal your pain for you, but like a really good friend can be there to support you in your journey to healing. Yeah. Um, and I think Samwise was just like the perfect example of that because that, that's a great description of him. Yeah. Cause I, and at one point he tried, like he tried, he's like, I will carry the ring for you. And he was like, I can't do that. <laughs> like, yeah. It will destroy me. And so, yeah. 
Um, and I think that's, I think, again, that's where the hero's journey comes into real life. Like we all have, um, I mean, everybody's struggles look different and, but that doesn't mean they're not struggles. Right. And mm. building your supporting characters around you and the people that you choose to be your supporting characters, because you are the hero of your own story. So like your best friend is the hero of their story. So they're writing their own hero's journey um, and you're their supporting character. Mm. But in your life, the people around you are your supporting characters and choosing like, are your supporting characters going to be, we're just going to keep going back to Harry Potter. Um, are they going to mm-hmm. be Snape and Neville and like Ron and Hermione and Draco, or are they going to be Bellatrix and um, whatever, I guess Draco still is that Malfoy's dad's name too. Um but like choosing who your supporting characters are have a huge impact on who you become and who you allow yourself to be Mm. out of interest you you mentioned before that you've just moved moved home did you think about this about okay who's going to be around me in that area when you when you chose where you're going to live was that Uh, a factor yes and no um we moved into my mom's old house that we just refinished so oh nice i lived in when i was a teenager okay cool so we moved back to this house because it's bigger and there's more space for all of us um Mm. but in the sense like i liked my neighbors i still like my neighbors um Mm -hmm. but we're in more of a neighborhood now so there's like kids across the street that my kids can go play with and like the people next door like sometimes are gonna play um guitar out of their garage and like have fires and stuff so things Mm. like um it wasn't specifically like we weren't like didn't like knock on the doors and be like do i like you or not (laughs) yeah like our neighbors um so you're more of like a like a like a city is it more like suburban more rural what what is it like where you are um it is where we are like a rural city we're cool so we are the capital of wyoming um mm-hmm. cheyenne but we have sixty five thousand people so we're not even technically large enough to be considered a city um and if you drive five miles, you're in the county and like, like literally at the end of Cheyenne, it's just prairie. So, yeah. um, a little bit of all of the above. I live within city limits, always have, mm. uh, but like my little brother, one of his best friends lives on a ranch just out of town. So like he'll go there and spend the night there on the weekends. And then he has to go like shovel cow poop and things like that. <laughs> The reason I ask is, as I get older, I've lived most of my life in cities, in like downtown areas of cities. And I'm now living in a more suburban place. And we're thinking about even going even more rural. Because I have noticed that the more densely populated a place is, the more lonely you feel, the less of a sense of community. Like downtown Toronto, where I used to live, or wherever like no i felt zero community i lived in a, of a building probably like 
three, four hundred people lived in this tall apartment building. Didn't know any of them. Not even my neighbors. Um, now I'm in the more suburban area. I know the name of my neighbor over there. I know my neighbors over there. I know my neighbors down there. Um, not to the point where we're like hanging out all the time or anything, but to the point where we know to say hello to people. And okay. I'm realizing more and more that the fewer people there are, the more you appreciate those who are around you. I think that's part of it. I also think yeah. it, like if you have a yard that you have to water, whether it's mm-hmm. flowers or whatever, you're going to be outside. Like that's how I got to know one of my neighbors is like, we'd be outside watering at the same time. And we're like, Hey, <laughs> yeah. Um, and like last week I babysat his chickens. So <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're going to be watering. You want to just like water my lawn and feed the chickens. And I was like, sure. Um, so I think that's part of it is it, it gives, it facilitates interaction mm. with people more when you have yeah. your own space. Like when you're living in yeah. apartments, yeah. like you have a door and if, like if you're walking into a door and somebody's walking into a door that doesn't really create any sort of interaction between you other than yeah. like, I don't know. And I mean, I would, I never want to live in an apartment again. I, <laughs> no I like, way. And like even yeah. some like really nice apartments, there are people, you know, they have like their whole flat in like New York city where they own an entire floor or two of a building. And that's great. But I like land and I like plants and I like interaction with other people. And so yeah, very much. And that's precisely why we're thinking about moving out. Most it's not just the land, but it's the things that come with it, especially the community, because I know we're talking about, you know, the people that you're surrounding yourself with um, being on your hero's journey. I think having a strong sense of community it might not be a direct link with the hero journey but i think having a sense of community is a very important human thing oh 100 percent. it's we so are, important we so are important animals yeah we are, we are meant to live in groups of people and be tribal and like take care of each other that is yeah. how we are designed and not to be on top of each other Right. To have space, but to know who your neighbors are there, to know who your neighbors are there, to know them over there, to be social with them from time to time, to interact with them, um, to look out for each other. And I guess it's it's kind of like, you know, there's, I forget what the name of the, the psychological um, principle is, but if somebody is attacked in a busy area, no one's going to intervene because everyone thinks, oh, somebody else will do it. Or that person wants to be the bison of it. That's the one, yeah. Whereas when there are way fewer people around in the kind of community I imagine that you're in, like that's not going to happen. Like everyone's going to rush to each other's help. Yeah. I mean, it still happens, but it happens less. Good. Um, Cool. So one one more quick question before we have to shut this down. Do you have any stories within you that you feel like you need to get out into the world? My disappointing answer is no. <laughs> I've I've never been interested in creative writing. Even as a kid, I'm like, yeah, it's just, I'm not interested. I love reading though. 
I love consuming what people have read. Now, I like writing like, you know, blog posts on my, from my website about fitness and nutrition and that kind of thing. But um, no, creative writing, I just, I have like no desire to do it. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it to the people who are actually into it. Yeah. But like, yeah, I, I love consuming it though. I like, I like consuming, um, like when it comes to art, I don't really get visual art a lot of the time. I don't get like paintings. I don't, I, don't, I, really, I don't really get it. My brain doesn't work like that. I mean, okay, I can see, yeah, that, that's a nice painting, but I'm like, I'm not into it. Like somebody would, would be just like transfixed by this beautiful, beautiful like sculpture or whatever. But the written word, yeah, I get the written word. See, I laugh because my best friend is an artist. So when we look at art together, she's like, look at this line, look at it, like talks about technique and she talks about what kind of like type <laughs> of art it is. And I'm just like, ooh, pretty. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's part, part of that reason is, of course, because I just have zero art education. I've said I, I know nothing about it so it, it's definitely partly ignorance but I also think it's just partly my brain just doesn't get like visual art it just doesn't yeah, get it I didn't have that excuse I have a <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I just I'm not a fine artist never have been so no um all right so before we shut this down is there anything that you want people to know about you where they can find you um Anything that you're promoting at the moment that you want people to know about? Um, promoting nothing, really. No. <laughs> um, but if you want to follow me, I mean, the best place is Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. Um, Rosentrain, R-O-S-E-N-T-I-E-I-N. That's my, um, my username. So feel free to come and follow me. Um, but thank you for having me back on the podcast again, Chandra. I really appreciate it. This was really fun. Yeah, it's makes me super happy and i'm happy to have you um so everybody that has been uh the common humanity podcast where we're here to have real human conversations and we will catch you next time <laughs>